we're looking at a real investment. And so um, investing in technology, investing in digitalization, and it's not just the equipment, it's not just the, the technology itself, but it's the competency required. Accreditation, it's a way of life. One of the actions that organizations are taking is to focus on issues of pressing importance. What the customers really want out of their accredited certification. I believe we have an impact on everyday's life. It's important to be inclusive. It is important really to, to, to be open. And that will be one additional way to ensure that the voice of industry and user is heard and recognized. Hello and welcome to the third of IF and ILAC's podcast series, Accreditation Matters. Um, this podcast series features discussions with international experts on important matters about the international quality infrastructure and the way that accreditation and accredited conformity assessment supports business, regulators, governments and consumers. In our first episode, we explored the role of accreditation and accredited conformity assessment services within the quality infrastructure community, highlighting the importance of accreditation and the IF multilateral recognition arrangement and the ILAC mutual recognition arrangement. In the second episode, we examine the role accreditation plays in issues of ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance. And then in this, the third Accreditation Matters episode, we'll be discussing the role of technology in delivering trustworthy, effective and valuable accredited conformity assessment. Okay, so um, let's meet uh, today's uh, guest, shall we? So let's start off with Sharonda Jeffries. So Sharonda, um, I'd like you to go first and explain your role in the accredited conformity assessment community. Thanks, Marcus. Hi, everyone. I'm Sharonda. I represent TIA Quest Forum, or the Telecom or Information and Communication Technologies, ICT, industry at global standard organizations, including ISO TC 176, that's ISO Technical Committee 176, which is responsible for ISO 9001, the standard most widely used with regard to conformity assessment purposes. I also represent TIA Quest Forum and ISO CASCO, the conformity assessment arm of ISO, ISO CASCO STAR, which is the strategic relationships body, and also the IAF, International Accreditation Forum, where I serve as the vice chair of the user advisory committee and the co-convener of the IAF Task Force on Remote Audit and Assessment. Great. Thanks, Sharonda. Uh, and now turning to, to Pavel, if I could ask you to introduce yourself and uh, in your links with, community, uh, with conformity assessment. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, my name is uh, Pavel Kastka. Uh, I'm a professor in operations management and sustainability and also associate in research at the University of Canterbury, New Zealand. 
Uh, I've been actively involved in international standardization as part of ISO TC176 uh, and other subcommittees since 2005. And I'm a, a leading researcher on uh, several projects uh, that investigate especially digitalization of conformity assessment. So my projects range from uh, quite technical projects, for example, projects that investigate how to adapt particular technologies in the auditing processes, but also research projects that investigate uh, the overall transformation of conformity assessment. Great, thank you, Pavel. And I'm Marcus Long. I'm the Chief Executive of IOC and a Director at IEF, um, where I also chair the IS Conformity Assessment Bodies Advisory Committee. Um, so IOC is an association of global certification and assurance bodies. And um, the Conformity Assessment Bodies Advisory Committee, which of course gets shortened to CABAC, is one of the key stakeholder groups in IF, the International Accreditation Forum, which brings together stakeholders with over 100 accreditation bodies from across the globe. So standards and conformity assessment provide the tools to deliver trust and confidence um, uh, on a whole range of different issues um, that affect on numerous different organizations. Ultimately, accredited conformity assessment is trying to do two things. Firstly, it's, it's providing independent assurance that a product, a person, a process or a system conforms to a specific standard. But secondly, is the desire that this conformity leads to better things. Now, these better things are as wide and as varied as the needs of business, consumers, regulators and government. But for example, it can be used to create more sustainable performance, safer products, or stronger economic and financial performance. But what happens when the way we deliver what we do has to change? Now, the COVID-19 pandemic caused a near instantaneous change in how conformity assessment bodies delivered their work from certification audits to validation and verification work. Virtually overnight activities such as audits, assessments and evaluations could no longer be delivered face to face due to the lockdowns and travel experience, uh, the travel restrictions that virtually all of us experience. But the industry had the foundations to shift with procedures already in place and pre previously delivered in a limited form. Remote already existed. The pandemic meant it just needed to take over virtually completely. So what we want to explore in our discussion is two things. First of all, what happened in that shift to remote activities? And secondly, how does it place us for new technology, digitalization, and the use of data in determining the future of accredited conformity assessment. So if accredited conformity assessment is there to deliver trust, trust in the people, the product systems and process processes we mentioned before, we must be sensitive that change always gets people to reevaluate their trust. So Sharonda, the, the 
pandemic brought many insecurities to businesses, to regulators and to others who use the accredited conformity assessment system. How do you think the conformity assessment community adapted to continue to serve the market, regulators, businesses and end owners, providing that continued confidence? Well, Marcus, as you said, during the pandemic, many organizations, they were forced to shut their doors. And we've seen industries pivot and evolve. We've seen healthcare, for example. It's moved from in-person doctor's visits to telehealth, augmented reality, so on and so forth. So when it comes to conformity assessment, we're now reviewing documents online. We're using ICT tools, information communication technology tools like WebEx and Teams. We're using Zoom. In addition to reviewing these documents, we're chatting virtually, we're working pretty well, but there are lots of limitations, especially when you talk about conformity assessment and auditing and assessment activities in production areas or where there's a high dependence on the senses. Um, we're talking food safety and those types of areas. And so what we found is that Folks have adapted somewhat with regard to using cameras and technology, but that's only going to take us so far. And so we really need to think about what are we going to do for the future as we continue to evolve in this space um, to focus on reducing risk and assuring that validation and verification that we're able to um, trust what we see that when we do these tours using drones and when we review data that's almost real time, that it's accurate. So we've seen some industries like automotive and aerospace and especially the industry I work in, information and communication technologies. We've, um, I won't use the word partner, but we've worked with our conformity assessment bodies to use more innovative approaches. You heard me mention the drones. So we're, we're using technology as much as we can, recognizing that what works in one industry or one area or one organization may not necessarily work in another industry or another organization. Yeah, good. So where do you think the new technologies have worked? What do you think are the pluses, the minuses, the good, the bad, the ugly? And kind of where do you think we're heading now? So I have spoken with a lot of the auditors in my industry, and um, they obviously, information and communication technologies, we are very, very, very much embedded and ingrained in using technology. And so for us, the pivot wasn't as significant as it was in some of these other um, industries. And so what we're seeing, and when I talk to others, for example, when I talk to the automotive industry, they indicated that, um, I believe they said about... 30% or less of their audits they had been seeing using technology. And so obviously in my industry, we're seeing a lot more than that. When it comes to what the auditors have been doing, as I said, you know, the, the collaboration applications, they've been using those quite a bit. What we're now seeing is um, more online resources, more connection with regard to organizations. We're seeing where organizations such as uh, my employer, Cisco Systems, we are allowing access to some of our intranet activities with regard to the auditors. And so we're seeing more partnership in some cases. Um, what's interesting, though, is organizations like mine, we're moving more and more to a hybrid working environment. 
And that's where it gets really interesting because as we move through this hybrid world, we can't totally abandon what we used to do. We have to really look at how we're going to evolve it moving forward. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So, Pavel, let's get some more depth on some of the things that Sharonda's talked about. Um, you're responsible for a, a global survey on the digitalization of conformity assessment bodies in over 20 countries across the globe that also helps see the future trends. Um, so far, you've published results from, I think it's eight economies. Uh, can you tell us what are the primary findings that you've, you've had so far? Uh, thank you, Marcus, and uh, for the opportunity to talk about the survey. Uh, before I start talking about the results, I would like to acknowledge a lot of people who are helping us really to make this happen. Uh, my colleagues at BAM, TEU, Berlin, and Fraunhofer Institute in Germany, who really provide the whole infrastructure for this project, and experts from ISO, ILEC, and IAF, who are, who are helping us really to connect with uh, national accreditation bodies, and numerous accreditation bodies who, who are distributing this survey and collecting the, the data. And as you said, uh, we've got over 20 countries now, published eight uh, a report so far. And today, when I'm going to talk about um, the results, um, I will present some statistics uh, based on 14 countries and over 1,380 conformity assessment bodies. So this is the data set I can offer at the moment. Uh, I should acknowledge as well or emphasize that we are at the beginning of the, uh, the analytical process. But to some of the interesting results, um, and many of them we will talk about more in detail um, as we progress with other questions. And, and Sharonda has uh, picked up on many of the issues already. Uh, I've got uh, four issues I'd like to highlight uh, at the outset. Uh, first of all, conformity assessment bodies are quite optimistic about digitalization. And so if I would cite one statistic here, 89% of the conformity assessment bodies view digitalization as an opportunity or even as a great opportunity. So we have a, a very positive attitude towards digitalization of conformity assessment. And this is a great start for what mm -hmm. undoubtedly will be a, a quite long journey for all organizations involved. Second, um, at the moment, the digitalization efforts uh, focus mainly on the optimization of processes and improving efficiency. Uh, so the primary, these are the primary goals for most of the conformity assessment bodies. And whilst the assessment bodies are quite positive about the progress, they also acknowledge that the benefits they have expected uh, are still not fully realized. And we will talk about it, I'm sure, as we go mm. along. The third point I'd like to make, and that relates to hybrid audits. Hybrid audits are in full swing here. About 60% of conformity assessment bodies across the globe, based on our statistics, are using hybrid uh, audits at the present time. 27% offer fully remote services, which is also remarkable. But the challenges still persist, uh, and of course, we will talk about these uh, later. And the final point, the fourth point I'd like to make, 
a lack of uh, financial resources and of qualified personnel seem to be the biggest hurdles of the further digital transformation. So this is a very important finding for the future of the digitalization process. And it signals to us that we need to pay more attention how to bring investors, both private and public, into the digitalization process. And we also need to have more serious discussion about competencies, training and career pathways for people who work in the conformity assessment sector. So these are just uh, some starting points really for our discussion. Yeah, I think there, there are a couple of key things that we'll return to there about uh, competency and, and making sure everyone feels confident about what's happening here. And I think that's so vital to the whole of our industry. That's that's what we sell, isn't it? It's confidence and trust that we sell. So people have to have those in the system to be happy with the output. So we'll, we'll come back to that. And and uh, to to back up what you've also talked about from, from your research, IF and ILACT worked with ISO, the International Standardization Organization, to understand the experience of both those who delivered the remote activities we've talked about, such as the auditors, and those who the recipients of it as well, such as businesses who were being uh, audited. And we had almost four and a half thousand people respond uh, to, to the survey that we did to give an extremely positive view of their remote experiences. And I'd, I'd just like to pick out four statistics from that survey. Uh, first off, we had 79% of the respondents said that they would prefer to see blended, which is a combination of remote and on-site, or remote used in the future. So clearly people taking it to it very readily. Secondly, 80% agreed or strongly agreed that remote provides as much confidence as on-site audits. And again, it's that confidence word. And we must make sure that we try and get that to be as high a percentage as we possibly can and a real um, target for us to work towards. The third figure was that over 90% of people felt that the dramatic increased use of remote activities will, be, will provide a stimulus to the use of new processes and some of those things that, that you've both talked about already. And, and finally, the, the, the last figure um, from the survey that we would pick out is that 97.5% of people agreed or somewhat agreed that new technologies and alternative techniques should be used. So very positive indications of what we should be doing. Sharonda, from, from the user perspective, what are your views on the remote experience? Well, Marcus, I have to tell you, so first of all, recognizing that you know I work in technology, I've got very positive views. And for my industry, for TIA Quest Forum, we did a user survey and our survey, the summary of that data, and it's about a 17% response rate, it shows that most of the folks in my industry, we want a continued use of ICT. We want to see more. We want to see more remote audits. We want to see more use of technology. Again, that's for my industry. We did this in 2020. We showed um, 
a high percent there. When we did the survey again in 2021, we asked folks, how were you, how would you rate your certification body during this time frame? 80% plus with regard to rate of satisfaction with their conformity assessment bodies. And so that was really, really, really high for our industry. Folks are in my industry, very pleased with the use of technology. Now, from a personal point of view, what we've seen in, in across the board with regard to audits that are occurring, when we talk to the certification bodies involved in my industry, for example, they didn't report a decrease in the number of nonconformities noted. Let me repeat that. They did not note a decrease in the number of nonconformities noted. Now, they did note that the nonconformities changed a little bit. And what they recognized was that there was a more, um, a more, a little more emphasis and review of the documentation that supports activities and implementation. So there were more findings noting um, deltas between what was actually being done versus what was stated to be done. So recognizing that earlier, I stated that I, uh, I think I stated that the automotive industry, they had expected about 30% of their audits reported at 30% of their audits were conducted using technology. That's actually very, very high. When I look back, 16% is what the IATF, the International Automotive Task Force, they've reported that just 16% of the audits in their industry have been conducted using remote technology. And so I think that there's been a little bit of fear with regard to some of the other industries but again, in my industry, we've fully embraced it. Um, food industry, a little bit slow with regard to that. Again, that high reliance on the senses. Good, okay. And I think there's some great learnings there, aren't there, to help take us forward. You know, different industries with different perceptions and different views about remote. And, and I think that becomes really important to make sure that we, we continue to build this confidence and trust as things change and things move forward in a different way. So, Pavel, in Marcus, terms of your... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Sharonda. <laughs> I was just going to say that just to add one more thing, I think that as we move forward in, in this evolution, we've got to be careful because a lot of folks, they want to insert the word remote or virtual mm. in front of everything without yeah. really rethinking and taking advantage of technology. And I think that's the key opportunity that we have with regard to moving forward. Folks, it's not just a, a it's just not a, it's not an insertion of the word remote. It, it really requires rethinking and thinking about the opportunities and risks that the use of technology can can offer. So. Yeah, and I think that's really good. And we'll, we'll, we'll move on to this and, um, and, and talk about how this is really just a foundation in a way, and um, we'll 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 come to that in a minute. I just want to ask Pavel one more question on 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 the remote experience. Does does the research that you've carried out um, does it provide any insight into how the two groups of those carrying out audits and those being the recipients of audits have actually viewed their remote experiences? Uh, well, backwards, I, I mainly focus at the moment um, on the conformity assessment body. So the, the statistics and the insights are really driven mainly from uh, those groups of users uh, rather than consumers. But there are some also data related to, to the users themselves. So as I uh, mentioned already, we, we have experienced a really dramatic change in the way uh, conformity assessment bodies uh, started to operate. 
that being remote audits or what we now see as a form of a hybrid audit and also uh, the adoption of technologies. And most uh, conformity assessment bodies uh, really acknowledge the role of technologies. One statistics I'd like to bring forward, uh, 76% of conformity assessment bodies in our sample report that the digital technologies have helped them to overcome the challenges of the pandemic. Mm. And I've already mentioned at the outset of this uh, discussion today uh, that they are excited about this change and they, they view it as an opportunity. Now, what are the hurdles? Um, and probably unsurprisingly, number one, a lack of interpersonal relationships. Uh, about 47% of the responding conformity assessment bodies acknowledge that this is uh, still a problem, even though they might operate in a hybrid model, uh, which is uh, combining these different approaches. It, it's not purely a remote uh, uh, model. Number two, and, and also unsurprisingly, is uh, data security. We still have a way to go to make this work. Mm. And to cite maybe just uh, one more, and of course there are many, um, accessing comprehensive data for the audit. So this is really about the interface between auditors and uh, the organizations that are being audited. And we have learned during the pandemic that this was one of the greatest struggles auditors had. They had to put a lot of effort into the pre-audit preparation and they had to find ways to communicate with users to access the data. And it seems that this uh, is still a hurdle that is considered high on the agenda of everybody uh, across, uh, across the world. And the final point I I'd like to make, um, uh, most of the conformity assessment bodies report that their digitalization effort is more advanced in comparison to other actors in conformity assessment. That means companies, accreditation bodies, and regulatory bodies. We should understand those this uh, data with the caveat that this is on average. So of course that will be better uh, users, more advanced users, more digitalized users, probably in the telecommunication industry as Sharonda is talking about. But then there is a, a large group of laggers uh, who are not able to catch up with what is going on uh, as part of the digitalization of conformity assessment. So it means uh, for the conformity assessment in general that we have to take a broader perspective. We have to understand various stakeholders, their needs, and bring them to the process uh, to digitalize conformity assessment services. Yeah. Good. Okay. And, and you've started introducing some of the things that we'd like to, to talk about now, because of course, the, the, on one level, the remote experience was really just taking what we did in person on site to doing it remotely. So in a way, you could argue there wasn't a substantial change in what actually happened. But I think the very positive thing that we see now is that from that survey, I mentioned this figure of 97.5% of those who'd experienced remote te techniques were positive about what was going to happen next. So what is going to happen next? Are we starting to see, are we in the foothills of this change? 
um, or is it going to be a complete revolution? So, so Pavel, if I could maybe start with you on this one, um, and again from your research findings, um, what does the research help us understand about what might actually happen next? Thank you, Marcus. And uh, this will be one of the last things when I will present the dry data about what's coming from the survey, and then we will discuss it perhaps in the subsequent questions. Um, but to start with, um, uh, from our survey, 62% of conformity assessment bodies expect a great or very great impact of digitalization in the next two to five years. So at the moment, what uh, they report their focus is is the digitalization of the internal pro processes. So the main thing or the main question is how to optimize really what we do at the moment. And relatively little is given to what Sharonda was mentioning before is a radical sort of rethinking or re-engineering of what these processes could be, or even developing new business models, new offerings operating differently. So I'm sure we will talk about it a little bit later as well. As it regards the latest technologies such as blockchain, artificial intelligence, virtual reality or big data analytics, uh, the overwhelming finding is that uh, conformity assessment bodies are exploring the options, uh, but the adoption is, is relatively low. Again, back to my previous point, we, we should see these results on average. There will be some very, very advanced organizations, but also uh, laggers. But what was staggering uh, for our team as well was that a lot of the professionals are not even aware about some technologies and then what are they, uh, what is their potential. Hmm. Um, However, based on the indication about future plans, and that's really directly answering the, the question you posed, Marcus, at the outset, uh, we predict a significant change. A growing number of conformity assessment bodies are piloting new technologies. I think Sharanda was talking about it, but our data strongly support that, being that drones, robots, satellites, and others it depends really on the, on the particular industry or particular conformity assessment service, but there is a great number of pilots going on. And uh, the organizations indicate that they are planning to roll out these technologies within the next two, two to five years. And even amongst those who are not piloting the technologies, uh, there is a growing discussion and analysis of what these technologies are and how they might be used. So what we predict really is that we will see much more digitalized and innovative conformity assessment uh, relatively shortly, perhaps uh, in the next uh, five to 10 years. Hmm. Yeah. So and building on from that, there seems to be numerous different ideas circulating on future techniques, some very broad applications, some more specific and, and limited. Um, between those two categories, such as AI and machine learning, sensors, drones, constant data exchange, satellite imagery, and tracking, eye tracking, digital sense technology, plagiarism software, uh, background web trawling, wearable glasses, and VR for training. 
um, through to DNA testing and, and tracking for organic products. Um, a kind of question to both of you, do you believe that there is anything uh, from those ideas starting to bubble to the surface as what might be the key techniques and developments, or are we a little bit too early in, in the vast range of different technology? Uh, maybe, Sharonda, if you'd like to have a go at that one to start with. Well, I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking, man, we couldn't get through it without saying the word blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't, I I didn't even have that on my list, did I? I know Pavel mentioned it, but uh, yeah, I didn't even put that one in there. Maybe it's a given already. Okay. But um, it's interesting because um, you've got organizations that are already using what some consider to be advanced um, telepresence that lets lets you feel like you're in the room together, that, that idea of twinning, it's getting close to the, the twinning concept. With regard to all of the technologies that you, you mentioned, I can't say that anyone is going to bubble up right now. Frankly, I think it's a little early. I mm -hmm. did hear the, the statistics that Pavel was sharing with regard to the, um, the conformity assessment bodies that are engaging and utilizing technology. And, and I've got to be honest with you. This is one of the concerns for me because I need to make sure that everyone involved in conformity assessment, that we're all being strategic and we're mm. looking at a real investment. And so um, investing in technology, investing in digitalization, and it's not just the equipment, it's not just the, the technology itself, but it's the competency required as, as Pavel mentioned earlier. So I think one of the, the significant concerns I have as we look at all of these, these different things, the augmented reality, the eye tracking, we know that these are things that are being used in organizations right now. We know that they're being used by the organization. We want to make sure that our conformity assessment bodies, that they're looking at this as well with regard to the conformity assessment world, how it can benefit. Hmm. So like I said, we're seeing telepresence right now. We're seeing twinning. Um, how much are we looking at with regard to the metaverse? How much are we looking at with regard to augmented reality, those types of things? Robots, robotic robotic act delivery, we know is a thing. We know that drones are delivering product. How are we utilizing that, that technology overall with regard to conformity assessment right now? And most importantly, the plan for the future. Though That's hmm. the serious question that I have, that strategic view. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Sharonda. Uh, Tavo, what are you, uh, do you have any thoughts on any kind of key techniques and developments that you think are starting to to, to bubble to the surface, or do you think that that list is is so huge that there's there's kind of nothing quite yet that's really leaping out, um, or do you think we'll actually end up in a situation where there are numerous different uh, applications and, and developments that we'll be using? Thank you, Marcus. I have to echo what Sharonda already already said. You know, it's not uh, about technologies per se. We probably will see more and more application of what I call other technologies. You know, the first wave mm -hmm. has been about information and telecommunication technologies. That's very obvious, and this will continue. Uh, the other technologies will follow satellites, drones, etc. But it's going to be very contextual and specific to, to particular industries and particular actors uh, who would be able to provide these services or use these technologies uh, in, in a confident 
uh, way. And we will also see, perhaps before all of that, more investment into data analytics and artificial intelligence. Um, conformity assessment bodies are sitting on a huge amount of data. Um, many of them will tell you uh, we don't really use it. Uh, so this is an opportunity really to adopt uh, fairly basic analytics and techniques to understand what is going on. And this will, of course, uh, help conformity assessment bodies to streamline what they do and perhaps look at what computers might be able to do better than humans. So yeah. for me, this second wave will be about uh, probably rethinking what we mean by blended or hybrid. Yeah. Mm. At the moment, it's can we do it remotely and can we do it in person? And, and that's the dichotomy when we think about blended or hybrid audits. Mm. In the future, it may continue in this way, but it may shift into a discussion about can a human do that better versus can a computer or technology deliver that? So a blended audit will be also uh, taking into consideration these two different aspects. Yeah, and, Mark, uh, yeah, and perhaps in, in, in even more distant future, we will see more automation of uh, all of that. Um, we may see an artificial intelligent systems being used to predict future problems. Uh, mm. They may predict uh, or analyze and indicate what are the hotspots. And we can then see the human auditors really following or be guided by these analytics to de do further investigation of uh, major risks. And we might even see auditors operating in virtual world, you know, visiting digital twins rather than organizations themselves. But this is uh, a very distant uh, future at the moment. Mm. Yeah, Sharonda, go ahead. I got really excited because <laughs> as Pavel was talking, it really, well, it really, I, I talk about the word rethinking, but Pavel used the word optimize. And, and I liked what he said, really think about what's best for a human to do versus what's best for the use of technology to do. Mm. And I think it's, it's really rethinking. It's really looking at optimization and trying to use the tools the right way in the best way to help assure this confidence, as you mentioned earlier, Marcus. I think it's really, it's, 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 we're looking at building the formula with regard to putting all these pieces together to optimize all of them. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think the, the pandemic experience gave us this, this popular view of future auditing, that it will be a combination of on-site auditing, uh, remote auditing and then the the concept of, of blended audits where you would have some people on site, you'd have some people remote. But I, I love the idea that we introduce here of the, the concept of, uh, of blended not being just about on site and off site, but actually being about on site, off site and the use of these different technologies, the use of digitalization, the use of data. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity, not just for us to do things differently, but most importantly, to add more value to what we're doing, to deliver more benefits to what we're doing. But it does lead to the question of, um, do we need to make sure that the skills and competencies of our auditors are embracing this, this matrix, matrix of different solutions that we have in front of us? And, and maybe Sharonda, you can answer that one to start with. 
Well, you heard me say earlier, I'm really concerned about investment with regard to not just the technology itself, but also with regard to training and competence. Um, one of the things that I do internally is I'm a trainer inside of the organization that pays my salary inside of Cisco. And so I've found that to get people more comfortable with technology, oftentimes, especially with regard to new aspects of technology, you've got to allow them the chance to play with it as, as adults. We, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. We like to play and we like to break things. And so oftentimes when it comes to introducing technology, we've got to allow, especially those involved in conformity assessment, the opportunity to get familiar, to get comfortable. And, and, and let's, let's face it, to trust the technology. Mm, yeah. So there's a lot of questions with regard to how do we introduce technology? How do we have allow folks to gain that familiarity? that familiarity, that knowledge, that trust. How do we do that? And so again, it's going to require investment. It's going to require some time. Yeah. And that's a strategic I'll, I'll, initiative. I'll come back to that trust thing with my next question. I just wonder, Pavel, first, if you have any uh, thoughts on the on the skills and competencies of auditors as, as we move forward with different ideas and different technologies. Uh, yeah, yes, of course, uh, we, we have to have a really a serious discussion about uh, the competencies, training and also career pathways uh, for people mm -hmm. who work in the conformity assessment. And, and, and let's face it, uh, you know, we, we are lacking uh, qualified and competent professionals even now. Um, and we need to find ways how to bring in the new generation of auditors and inspectors and others who will be excited uh, working uh, in, in this sector. Hmm. Uh, just dipping a little bit into some statistics from our, our survey, um, we had a lot of Latin America's countries um, and an interesting uh, statistics from there is that almost 70% of employees are under the age of 40, which is uh, quite different to Europe, hmm. while you would have a completely opposite statistics, about 30% of, of people are in that uh, age bracket. So what it means in general, we need to make the job attractive for young people. And in some ways, the digitalization and may provide us with this platform to, to, to make it work. And one example I'd like to bring forward and something we've been discussing a lot with my colleagues is how to really find people and provide them with experience that is so needed for this job. And in many countries, the requirements for an auditor is a 10, even more years of experience in the industry. And we have to ask ourselves, uh, how can we make it work? How, you know, how can younger people can be part of this uh, profession even earlier than that? And Sharonda was mentioning some techniques which are already uh, being developed, uh, such, uh, such as using a metaverse for training. And other industries, banks, pharmaceuticals, consulting companies, even medical industry are processing really fast in, in training people in metaverse and mm -hmm. using these alternative ways to gain experience. So this is yeah. something conformity assessment uh, has to consider and invest into as well. Yeah, it's that, uh, you know, you can introduce as much technology as you want. You still need people to get it to work, don't you? We still need to make sure we're doing that. And however fast we do that, we need to make sure that the people are going as fast as things are changing. Um, and if we 
look at that in terms of this central concept of trust. Um, what do you think are the challenges for the conformity assessment sector for, for certification, testing, inspection and accreditation for the use of all these new methods to ensure that those we're working for, that businesses, consumers, regulators are happy with the pace at which we're moving? Sharonda, can I pick on you to give us your thoughts on that? So first of all, I hope that folks are paying attention to the wonderful statistics and the wonderful studies that Pavel is, is providing. I think that's the first thing. We've got some data. Let's utilize mm -hmm. that data. Let's utilize that data and look toward the future. As I said, I really need my conformity assessment body organizations to really look towards strategic initiatives to take the time to put together a plan. I think what's happened with regard to the pandemic is it caused us to be extremely reactive <laughs> and it's now time for us to be proactive and think about the future. And so we've got some good data right now. Um, we, we've got some great studies. We really need to take the time, invest, invest, invest. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Good. Uh, Pavel, what are, what are your thoughts in terms of um, the, the kind of risks and the things we need to do to make sure that everybody trusts this change as it's happening in an, in an ever faster manner? Mm -hmm. Well, let's have a look uh, to start with about uh, what is trust about. You know, trust is about uh, consistency. It's about reliability and being reliable in what we do. And it's, it's a relational asset. So mm. what I would argue is that conformity assessment bodies need to focus on building trust. And they have to do that more than ever. We are living in a society when the data is readily available. It travels very fast. Uh, people can, uh, for example, visit remote areas through satellite images. They can verify what's going on. And that puts uh, a conformity assessment activities at great risk. So what I would like to propose is that uh, it's not only building trust with uh, B2B networks and conformity assessment bodies with organizations or businesses, but also with general public. And at the mm -hmm. moment, I, I run another research projects uh, focusing on trust building uh, uh, with general public, a project that looks at uh, social license to operate. And uh, I would like to offer really four areas that I believe are important. And this is what the research is informing us about trust in the context of conformity assessment. So bear with me, four very simple issues. Uh, first one, distributional fairness. Uh, this is about really the contribution of conformity assessment to societal well-being. What is it? You know, in what way uh, does conformity assessment contribute? Are we really clear in demonstrating what it means? And do general public or people in general understand the benefits stemming uh, from uh, conformity assessment? So we've got to do a, a, a more of crunching the data, focusing on impact and explaining that impact to general public to build trust and to contribute to what we call a distributional fairness. Uh, number, number two, uh, procedural fairness. Uh, this is essentially about stakeholder involvement in setting up of standards or setting up the monitoring processes. 
And we may ask ourselves, do we do enough of stakeholder involvement? Aren't we focusing perhaps too much on the industry and overlooking other stakeholders? Because these stakeholders uh, can come up front really uh, and be quite important influencers in what is a, a trustworthy relationship um, in conformity assessment. Number three, uh, confidence in governance. This is really largely about consistency of uh, what we do as part of conformity assessment. Again, we need to ask ourselves, are we doing enough? If there is any scandal or a problem or inconsistency, are we addressing it? Are we looking at conformity assessment bodies that are underperforming and perhaps untrustworthy? Because they can harness the, the trustworthiness of the entire conformity assessment sector. And number four, it's about adaptability. So can conformity assessment bodies reinvent themselves uh, and change in the face of changing expectations? Uh, they need to embrace technologies. They, they need to go alongside uh, what other actors are doing in the today's digitalized world. Because if that is not happening, uh, the trust will erode over time. So these are the four things perhaps um, conformity assessment bodies can, can use as a very rough framework to think about trust, how to maintain the trust, uh, or perhaps how to enhance their trust. Over to you, yeah. Sharonda. I'm sure you've got a lot of points uh, around that. Actually, I, actually I, 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 I like the idea. Sorry, Sharonda. I like the idea that, mm -hmm. that actually the trust element also it goes into fear as well, doesn't it? Because that's the kind of flip side of the fear. And and kind of Sharonda, I just wonder what kind of do, do do you share any of these fears? Do you have any different fears as as this transformation happens? Well, it's funny, Marcus, because that's that's the one word I was thinking about. It's fear. It's um, a little scary. This all because I, I support everything that Pavel said. It's fear. It's concern. Um, I mentioned competency. I mentioned um, the training aspect. We've also got to be concerned and a little fearful with regard to the technology itself, cybersecurity, mm. privacy, data protection. All of those things, we've got to be concerned about that as well. And so yeah. our conformity assessment bodies, they've got to really look at investing and thinking about how do we have the competency and how do we maintain trust with regard to our processes and our infrastructure too. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'm kind of, I, I, I think I'd like to kind of try and wrap us up a bit from, from where we are now. I think the the thing that we're learning through our discussion is that there is way more to talk about on this subject and way more to discuss about the opportunities and, and how we take people with us on this. Um, Sharonda, can I maybe ask you that this whole idea of making sure that people are involved in what we're doing, um, what do you think we need to do to make sure that we take people on this journey with us? That, as, as Pavel says, we're not just looking within, that we're making sure we're looking um, out with as well, that we are involving other people. How do you think we need to involve other people in this discussion? 
Well, I think we've done quite a bit. Um, just this this podcast as as a as an example. We we need to do more outreach with regard to these types of activities, communication. Um, as you mentioned previously, we did the survey, and I believe you said that the that joint survey had more than four thousand respondents. Mm -hmm. We need to continue to reach out. Um, they're the different ISO technical committees that we engage with. So that's going to give us those folks that are traditionally involved in um, different um, standard development activities. But we've also got industry such as automotive, aerospace, telecom, railway, and we've got the users. Now, Pavel, he mentioned a really good point with regard to the fact that many of the folks involved in conforming assessment we're starting to um, show some, I'll use the word maturity <laughs> with regard to time. And so, so we need to do more with regard to the colleges, those that are graduates early in career. We need to do more outreach there. Hmm. So, and again, that's where we'll find um, the folks that are, that are playing the games, that are using technology in interesting ways. We need to bring those into the conformity assessment field and get their opinion with regard to how we change, rethink, and optimize. Yeah, I think there's, there's, some, there's some great ideas there about making sure we go on this journey together, don't we? That this, this can't be us just going off over the horizon. We have to take other people on the journey with us because if we want to continue to build the trust that we do, we do in our industry, that there have to be people on this train with us, don't there? There's no doubt about that. Pavel, what are, what are your thoughts in, in terms of uh, the stakeholders that we need to take with us on this journey and, and how we make sure we, we continue with that trust? I think we talk a lot about what we do internally in conformity assessment, and that's quite healthy debate. And a debate which has been going for some time, we've got a lot of ideas. But I think the debate about what is the outward-looking orientation and what we can do on that front is, is something that we have to do as well in parallel to this debate of what we do internally. I think Sharonda mentioned a lot of different examples of that. I perhaps could add to, to that um, looking at areas uh, uh, such as uh, citizen science, you know, when, when, when people are involved in, in solving scientific problems. Similarly, that can be involved in, in collecting data or being part of a conformity assessment processes. We are not far away from uh, having a portable DNA testing stations that people can have at home and they can perhaps verify the provenance of food. So there is a lot, a lot of different areas in which uh, uh, consumers and general public can be involved in conformity assessment. But it's perhaps uh, in a far future, but let's just take very simple things that we can do straight away. Uh, do we educate people about conformity assessment? Uh, do we have a real curriculum at primary, secondary schools or at the universities that would bring the conformity assessment more closer uh, to the general knowledge about what's going on around us? And this is something uh, which uh, can have a huge impact on the perception of what conformity assessment is doing. It can add to the trust that we are building. It can be a true partnership that can work for both sides. Mm. Great. Okay, I'm going to be mean now. 
you're allowed one key message to highlight as a call for action about what takes us all forward. What's that going to be? Sharonda, you have a go. Everyone working together, partnering, focusing upon enhancing competency, infrastructure, and optimizing and enhancing to address concerns regarding fear. Hey, that was pretty good. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Pavel, your go. That was marvelous. Uh, I have written <laughs> mine uh, on the paper before and actually quite similar to what Sharonda was, uh, was saying. Um, my message is continue uh, with the digitalization process work with the stakeholders and create partnerships invest in your people and train them for what i believe is an exciting and digitalized future of conformity mm. assessment brilliant that's great i mean i think this is clearly a topic that is going to see levels of change that none of us have experienced before i think the the experience that we talked about at the beginning of our discussion of the pandemic showed that those involved in conformity assessment, particularly the certification bodies and the accreditation bodies, um, deliver the robustness that we always strive for, but with the mass use of, of remote techniques. I think the, the pandemic is evolving now into a different beast, uh, and the positive return to on-site auditing, um, but we now will be moving ahead to an era where we'll be carrying out audits on site remotely, using new techniques, new technology, embracing digitalization and the use of data. Now, there's no doubt there'll be many more issues to discuss on this topic. I think we probably could have gone on much longer with this, this discussion, and you'll probably all be glad to know that we'll bring it to a close. But I'm sure that in the future, IF and, um, and, and ILAC will return to this subject and to discuss it more, um, such as here with uh, Accreditation Matters. So look out for the next episodes of Accreditation Matters on Spotify, as well as on um, Apple and Google Podcast. But also keep an eye out on if.nu and ilap.org to learn more about why Accreditation Matters. So very many thanks to Sharonda and Pavel for their insight and their contribution to this discussion. Uh, thank you for listening and from me, Marcus Long, goodbye.